So for 2022, right, to get that inner peace, that fulfillment, what should we be doing more of? This is about getting really deep. And getting deep means you look at what uncomfortable emotions are coming up for you, um, where those things are stemming from, what are the traumas that are attached to that. You can be a hot mess and still manifest. Hey, Benny. This is your girl, Rina, and you're listening to the Sisterhood of Mommy Imperfect, the podcast where we explore and celebrate womanhood, the place where you get your weekly dose of girl chat, all with a sprinkling of masala, because I do like to give a platform to women of color, particularly South Asian women, as I do feel that there aren't actually that many platforms that allow us to come together and share our stories. Today, I am talking to a South Asian sis who can help you turn your dreams into reality. She's going to be sharing tips on harnessing your energy, manifesting it, managing it correctly, actually. We'll get to manifestation in a minute, but managing correctly, becoming the badass boss lady that you deserve to be. It is manifesting and purpose coach, Raspreet Sagu. Welcome to the Sisterhood of Mommy Imperfect. Hi, thank you. And thanks for having me here. Listen, um, your job title, okay, manifestation and purpose coach, that is not a job title that you hear every day. So no. how did you get into that? Oh, well, um, so I'm a pharmacist by training. And so when I was doing pharmacy, I got to this point where I was just so fed up of the mundane and you know, it got to a point where it was boring. I was at the top of where I could be and I knew I could move forward, but it just, the job was not fulfilling me. I just felt like there was something bigger and better that I was meant to be doing. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it. All I knew was it wasn't fulfilling me anymore, the job that I was currently doing. And so I took the plunge and I actually left. It was one of the hardest decisions I'd made. Pharmacy was something that I'd always wanted to do. Um, and I left and actually everything got catalyzed for me by the birth of my daughter when I saw that this corporate job that I had didn't meant that it compromised this um, vision that I'd always had that when I had children, I wanted to spend quality time with them. I wanted to build magical memories, the kind of things that I didn't get to do as a as a child. And the job just wasn't allowing this to happen. So I had this on the one side, I had this vision of what my life looks like. And I'm manifesting this whole thing. I had my vision board, I would do my affirmations. And it felt like this job that I was in was keeping me stuck and not allowing me to move into that vision that I wanted to live. Uh, so I decided to open up a baby swimming franchise, actually. And, and that's Maybe what I did. Franchise. Yes, mm -hmm. I wasn't. I, I used to be a semi-pro swimmer, and I thought, look, I have trained all my life to do pharmacy. That was the only thing. Like it was the only job experience that I'd really ever had. And when I was thinking of alternative careers, I was just drawing a blank, thinking, I don't know what else I can do. I don't have any other skills. And the only other passion that I really had was swimming. So because I had this young daughter at that, at that time, and I thought, well, that will give me, you know, the time and it, it kind of fits in with my lifestyle and I'll, I'll do that. 
And that's where everything kind of went downhill for me, really. Um, I got into that and I just, you know, jumping from being employed to self-employed, it was huge. And it was a very steep learning curve. Um, It was not what I envisioned. I thought that I would have this little franchise, this business, and I could like have my own autonomy, do what I want to do. And it didn't quite work out like that as a franchise. So I was actually feeling the same frustration of I'm still accountable to someone. I'm still answerable. I still can't have the freedom and the flexibility to do what I really want to do. So about a year into it, um, I like everything was going wrong actually during that year. And that's when I got into coaching and healing. And I started to learn more about, you know, deeper about manifesting and things like that. And I think it was through that that I found that I was just like natural at at coaching and um, connecting to energy and all of that. I always knew as as a child, I always knew I could connect to energies and things like that. But growing up in a brown family, when you tell people this kind of stuff, they kind of tell you, you know, that's you're just making it up or um, you shouldn't be connecting to people who've passed over. You know, they get freaked out. I used to say to my my family that, you know, my dead uh, grandparents are here and this is what they're saying and this is the message. And I and they would get freaked out because there were some things that I would be telling them that I couldn't possibly have known. So they would be like, no, you don't talk to the dead. You're not supposed to do that. That's really bad. And then they started to say, oh, you're, it's just your imagination. So I'm, I'm there as a six, seven-year-old starting to doubt myself because I'm like, okay, only I can see and hear these things and these energies and nobody else can. I must be wrong. Did you actually see your grandparents? So you saw yeah. their physical form as a child? Yeah, it's, it's hot. It's energy and the way that I... Um, like my gift is clairvoyance. And so I get to see with my mind's eye. So it wasn't physical form, but it was like their energy. I can connect to the energy. I can, I can sense them. I can see them. And I guess the way that I explain it to my clients, the way my gift works is when I perceive that energy, my brain projects this image. So I do get to see them, but it's not in physical form. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, it's so interesting, though, particularly because you went into pharmacy and pharmacy, you know, nice, scientific, (laughs) kind of like, you know, a a world away from the kind of thing that you're describing, which a lot of people shut off and be like, well, according to research, you know, this doesn't happen and all of this kind of stuff. So it's uh, it's just interesting that you you went from that into pharmacy. I know. I and I guess this is where our cultural imprinting comes in. You know, all the people telling me that what I was seeing or what I was doing um, was wrong. Somehow it was bad. And I felt like, oh, my gosh, I'm doing something really bad here. And it's really scary. And I shouldn't be doing this. And so all of that kind of instilled this fear where I tried to squeeze it. I tried to shut it down. I tried to ignore what I was seeing and what I was perceiving. But if any of you have this and you've ever experienced this, you'll know that you can never really shut it off. You can ignore it, but you cannot ever really shut it off. And so 
when I started to get into this healing work myself, I was just going because, you know, everything was going pear-shaped for me in my then career, the swimming business that I'd opened up. And what actually ended up happening was it all came flooding back. Like the doors, it was almost like the floodgates opened. And I just knew at that point, like, this is what I'm meant to do. I was, I used to at the time do like little healings and readings and things like that for my friends and family. And they would just be like, Ras, you need to be charging for this. Because I was helping them with things that they spent hours or years even doing and they couldn't like I had people who had these horrible skin rashes um they'd broken out in hives and I did like one healing session with this family member of mine and within less than 24 hours it's all cleared up and I remember her phoning me the next day and she was like you need to FaceTime me Ras I need to speak to you and I'm like what have I done and when when I did she was like, it's all cleared up. I don't know how you did it. I don't know what you did, but it's all cleared up. And I guess, you know, having more and more of those kind of experiences, it led me into, I'm not resonating with the swimming business anymore. And this is where really, I'm, I'm really deeply connected to this. It fits all the boxes. As a pharmacist, the reason I went into, the, into pharmacy was to help people, to be of service, to have this purpose. It was always been really important that I am of purpose, that I'm actually, you know, making this planet better somehow. And that dream of mine or that goal wasn't quite being fulfilled in pharmacy. And so here I was, you know, faced with this coaching or healing business and everything. And I started to do that. And so I let go of the, the business and I started to do what I do with Divine Sacred Soul. And that's like what led me to where I am now. And it's, it's constantly evolving. What I was doing at the beginning of my journey is very different to what I'm doing now. Okay, so let's just talk about manifestation for a minute. You do now, just recently, I think, you now have started to hear that manifestation, yes, manifestation, make it happen. Is that what manifestation actually is, making something into a reality? Yeah, the way that I describe it is bringing your thoughts, your dreams, your visions into physical reality. So you're not just thinking about them, you're actually experiencing them. You actually get to you know, make the intangible tangible. So if you ever have, like, I don't know if you can identify with this, you know, whatever dreams you had as a child, I believe that every single one of us has this vision for what we're going to be like, what life is going to be as a grown up, right? And that vision, especially as a young child, when you have no filters, it's I, I would say that's like the purest form of what your soul is here to do because you don't have the limitations. You don't have the, oh, you can't do this. Like if you look at your children or children in general, they don't have those barriers of that's not possible. Like when I speak to my daughter and she's like, um, let's buy this or let's have this house and I want a swimming pool in my house. She doesn't have it. She's seven years old and she still doesn't have the filter of, oh, it's too expensive or we cannot afford that or we're not the type of family who can have that thing. For her, it's just a possibility and it's more than a possibility. It's a probability. 
So when you look at what was that as a child that I always envisioned my life to be, and I'm pretty sure that theme runs through most people's lives. And so for me, manifestation is what is that, that you're the desires that you're so connected to that even though you've tried to make it happen and maybe failed or maybe not quite got there, but you're still connected to that desire. And that desire you wish to live, you wish to experience. And then manifestation is the process of bringing that from thought form, from energetic form into your physical reality. So what can help us do that, though? Because I'm sure many people just think, okay, it's just about, yes, I have these goals. I'm doing an action plan. Tick, tick, tick. I'm going to work towards them. Is that manifestation? Is it something deeper? Like, how do we actually do these things successfully? Well, that's a good question. I think with manifestation, it's more intentional. So it's um, you're working with energy, you're working with the spiritual laws, law of attraction. Most people know and are very familiar with the law of attraction. But what they don't realize is how sometimes, especially in the healing and spiritual community and personal development, it's kind of these tools and these um, concepts have been used to weaponize them against yourself so what I see very commonly is people using things like you know the teachings of the secret or Abraham Hicks I don't know if you're familiar with these concepts like I I know I've heard of I haven't it's a book right yeah it's like I haven't read it you know the the basics of it is you vibe high, you think positive, and then you attract better into your life. And you vibe high, you think positive, um, believe it, and then you can achieve it, and it will happen. But the thing that I always used to question with that, it never quite sat, landed with me or resonated with me was because I was believing it. And I yet I wasn't achieving it. I was thinking positive. I was doing the mindset work. I was sitting there doing the goal setting and, you know, putting my intentions out there and everything. And it wasn't working. And so I would get really frustrated. Like, I know it's possible because I see it happening with other people. Mm-hmm. I see other people using these very tools and they're manifesting amazing things in their lives. Why isn't it working for me? And what I started to discover in my own journey, and as I was helping so many people, particularly people of color, women of color, is that we have these internalized uh, trauma, this internalized oppression that gets bypassed when you're just doing the believe it and achieve, think positive, and then you'll attract better, vibe high, and then you'll attract better. So what happens is, even though you're doing all the work that you should be doing, you know, the vision boards or the goal setting and the taking the action on a daily basis, your energy is not in alignment with what you're asking for. There is something within you that is triggering your nervous system. You don't actually feel safe in having what you are asking for, for whatever reasons. And these are all subconscious things that go on in our minds. And so you kind of block that thing the very thing that you desire, you're blocking it from actually well, actualizing into your life. And that's where I see a lot of people spinning around in frustration because they've done the healing, they've done the mindset work, they've done all of these things, but what they're overlooking 
is the deeper stuff, the generational stuff, the cultural imprinting and how that impacts your manifesting. Um, there are things like what I do is I teach people to create their own customized manifesting framework. And what that means is that you're looking at these tools, you're learning these tools, you're learning these spiritual concepts, the law of attraction and everything else. And you are owning it and customizing it to your brain, how your brain functions, to your body, how your body is responding in real time, to what's going on in your life right now. Like what is your lived experiences? What are the traumas that you've experienced in the past? And how is that impacting you right now? Um, your energy, because every one of us has a unique energetic signature. And so if you're trying to do something like a rinse and repeat formula that you've seen working for other people, which I did for many years when I would follow all these manifesting coaches and books and tools and podcasts and all of it, and I was replicating their processes, but it, it would work maybe just to a certain extent. And after that, everything would plateau. And then I'd be back at square one. Or and another thing that I see is you manifest bits and pieces of your vision, but not the entire thing. And it gets really frustrating because it's like, how come I can do this, but I can't do this other thing that I really want to do? How come I can't expand the manifesting that I really want to do? And I think so, you know, the customizing your own framework means that you take into account all of these things and then you're tweaking the tools, you are adjusting them, you're looking at what needs, you're reviewing on a constant basis as you grow, as you start looking at these generational patterns for yourself. So when you think about it, can you get a sense of how bespoke this manifesting framework really is going to be for each individual? When you look at each individual's cultural imprinting, what are the things that you grew up with? What are the beliefs? What are the societal norms or restrictions or limitations that you've been plugged into most of your life? What are the expectations and the projections that you've grown up with? Um, and then you're looking at your unique energetic signature, which is completely, it's like fingerprints, completely unique to you. And then you're trying to squeeze all of that in into someone else's framework or process. I mean, it, it things that you've said just now do sound familiar. I mean, the cultural imprinting. Um, uh, yeah, I myself, like my parents, I think had a different kind of a life for me set up in their minds that I didn't do. Um, is that the kind of thing that you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, there's expectations as well, isn't there? Like as, as a brown girl growing up, you have certain expectations. You have to get married at a certain age. You, in order to be viewed as being successful, you've got to be a certain type of girl. You've got to smile. You can't be angry. You've just got to get on with it. You're the person who makes or breaks a household. And that's what we're trained is like, you know, that whole burden of responsibility is on you as a girl, as a woman. And you have to compromise. And so, like, because I work a lot with women of color, I see this so much where they actually tend to, they think they're manifesting what they want. And really, it's conditioning of what they think they should have so that they can please other people, so they, they can satisfy other people's needs, 
or so that they don't ruffle any feathers and they don't create waves because say for example you want to marry outside of your religion and your family is really strict and they don't agree with that then I see a lot of girls compromising on that and then they end up with like this person that they're not in love with that they don't really connect with and that relationship suffers not only does that relationship suffer when the children come along they suffer and then this cycle just gets perpetuated over and over and over again yeah it's uh that does sound familiar for a lot of people that I know um and particularly like with the South Asian community that we think that success is something that can be shown off about you know because I I know my family my my dad I'm sure that he'd like to show off about us a bit more if we were doctors and lawyers and accountants and or pharmacists even for that matter you Mm -hmm. know it's a whole thing of oh my parents can't show off about me to their friends to the community that I'm not driving around in a Rolls Royce or whatever. And, you know, I'm not a millionaire by the age of 30. It, I, I've not done well. Mm-hmm. That, that is, a, I, I think, um, what, the things that people really um, think that would make them happy is probably quite different to that a lot of the time. So um, I guess, yeah, I, I understand completely what you are saying, actually. Um, and is that is that the kind of thing that you, you're trying to say then, that because of this, how we're taught that success looks like this, right? So we think success is this. Yeah, you have this kind of uh, warped version of what success is, which isn't in alignment to your soul, to your path, to your purpose, to what you're naturally motivated towards. And so when you couple those things together, layer everything on top of each other, you're kind of setting yourself up for a fall trying to manifest something that you don't really want and like a perfect example of this is when I was looking for my soulmate um, and I was you know I I dated and it didn't quite work out so I enlisted the help of my family like can you please help me out and they would set me up with Rish there and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't even consider meeting someone unless he was brown unless he was the cast and this these were things that were not important to me but it was so conditioned within me and I was so aware that as long as I have someone who was educated as long as I had someone who had a university level degree who had uh, who actually wore a turban I know that would make my family really happy And therefore, by default, that will make me happy because I'll get their blessings and blah, 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 blah. And so unconsciously, unconsciously, so I was looking for that type of a person. Those things weren't important to me. I had another set of values that were actually more important to me. But I was focusing on the things that I thought would please my family. And each person that I met, it was like I was... I I even remember going along with a lot of these people. I had one person that I agreed to get engaged to. And I was thinking at the time, what am I doing? And no, it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. And we kind of did the pre-engagement thing, even went to that degree because I was thinking, you know, this, I've got to do this. And then the pressure was mounting because everyone was telling me, "You're you're no spring chicken, stop being so fussy you know, you, you're, it's going to get slim pickings if you don't hurry up. And then I have two sisters. So they were like, 
oh, you need to hurry this up because we need to get your sisters married. And if you're not married and they get married before you, then it's going to look bad in society and all of this stuff. Right. And I compromised. I compromised my needs. I knew I knew that this person wasn't for me. Thankfully for me, he's the one that backed out at the like he just had cold feet or whatever. And I remember saying to my sisters, thank God it was him who pulled the plug and not me, because then I didn't have to be the bad person and the bad girl who was like, oh, you did it. You messed up, Ras, and now you're never going to find anyone because you're so old. And I was only like 26, 27. So, um, yeah, and I kept attracting this kind of a person. So what I would do is I would um, be set up with all these people and they would say to me, these these guys would be like, you're such a lovely girl. I, I can't fault you, but I can't see myself getting married to you. Or they would string me along or they would already be in relationships with other girls and they're just appeasing their family to do the whole meeting the girl thing because they had other girlfriends who were from different castes or different religions or whatever, and they hadn't told their family. And so I would get drawn into all of this. And so with each person I would meet, it was heartache. It was rejection. I started feeling so shit about myself. Like what's wrong with me? Why do all these people say I'm, I'm really good on paper, but they can't see themselves with me. Why are these boys stringing me along? Why, what's so fundamentally wrong with me that nobody wants to spend the rest of their life with me? And it was chipping away at my self-esteem, my confidence. I spiraled into depression, loads of things that were happening, all because I actually wasn't looking at what was important to me. I was looking at the tick boxes and the checklist of what was important for my family. And so I unfortunately for me ended up me getting into a very abusive relationship and I think that was like the wake-up call for me um when I got out of that relationship I was so damaged he was a complete narcissist he completely broke me but at that point I was like I deserve better like and it was through anger it wasn't through because I knew all of this manifesting and all of this stuff that I know now but it was one night, I remember crying my eyes out and writing on a piece of paper all the things that all these boys had put me through and what everything that um, I didn't want moving forward. And then I wrote a separate list of everything that I know I brought to the table in a relationship. I know that I had value to add in a relationship. And when I started looking at the list and the, the big like discrepancy of what I'd experienced, I started to realize what I wanted, what I actually wanted, what was really important for me in a soulmate. And as I wrote that third list, which was what were my things, what was important to me, it wasn't the turban. It wasn't that he was brown. It wasn't that he was the same caste or he was educated. It was stuff like he respected me. It was stuff like he, we, we were on a level playing field that he supported me and all this, whatever it was that I brain dumped on at that time. In a few months, I met my now husband. And so that's the powerful shift that can happen 
Because what I believe is that when you're trying to manifest or create something in your life that you're not really aligned with because it's somebody else's dream, it's not yours, it's somebody else's desire or hope for you, your parents, society, your friends and family, your teachers, whatever, then it's really hard to get your energy behind that. And because of that incongruency, A, you're not going to be motivated. It's going to be exhausting because you're working against the grain. You're swimming against the current and it's going to take a lot more energy. B, it's going to be a lot more difficult for you to sustain the energy and the action that's required for you to get there. And C, you're just going to create a lot more of this drama in your life because of where you're at energetically. And you're going to keep recreating experiences until you understand that that's not in alignment with you and you get really clear on what is and then shift into that but then sometimes I think people may not know exactly what their own desires are because they've been so conditioned as you've said the cultural imprinting and they think oh this this is what I want a big fat house you know marriage to the right person kids big fat bank balance driving around a Mercedes this and that and really they might want something else I mean how do they then bring out what they actually do want although this is something I talk to my clients about in depth and I think it's so um so deep and you have to do a lot of you have to do a lot of work to be self-aware, to become self-aware. So one of the things you really have to do to get to that stage is to shed all the identities and the masks that you have been hiding behind that you think is what is required for you to fit in, to be accepted, to be loved, whatever it is, um, and really start to connect with yourself. And that's a really difficult thing to do. I mean, it's easy. It's easy to say, oh, let go of all of that. But most people, like when I ask them, I have clarity calls. And if I ask somebody, I always ask people, so what is it that you would love to do? Like if everyone aligned and agreed with you and everyone supported you, you had all the money in the world, what is it that you would like to do? And that question stumps just about 99.99% of the people that I ask. They just don't know. And they don't know because they're so disconnected from who they really are and who their true identity is. And so the deeper work is to start shedding those layers and get to the stage where you can clarify, get to this crystal clear diamond sharp clarity of what motivates you. What's your internal motivator? Um, What are the things that are really important to you? Uh, Tapping into your intuition and your awareness so that you're not being led by what other people are telling you what we're seeing on TV, in movies, um, our social conditioning, uh, familial patterns and generational stuff as well. But it's you. And that takes time. And this is one of the things that it's quite sad is because people are looking for instant gratification. They want the quick fixes. We're we're a society that's being conditioned into everything happens quick. Like, you know, you have Netflix, you can binge watch all the series. Mm -hmm. You don't, you can fast forward the ads and everything. But this work, it requires you to 
really sit with yourself. It requires you to lean into the discomfort because there is going to be discomfort. There's going to be discomfort when you start realizing how much of your life you've been living that's for someone else. That's for meeting the requirements of other people. Loads of people, myself included, are in denial because, for example, with my pharmacy thing, it's something I always thought I wanted to do. It was, and it was, and I loved it and I enjoyed it. And academically, those were the subjects that I excelled in just naturally. However, when I look back, I know that one of the things I stuck to pharmacy was because it made my parents really proud. And that's why I stuck to it for as long as I did. I knew about, I think it was, must've been three going on four years after I actually quit that I wasn't happy there, but I wouldn't let it go for three or four years. I, I ended up in that career for another three or four years because I just didn't want to let them down. Like, what would people say? Why, you know, they'd be questioning my parents. Of, Why is she going from pharmacy? And they did. I had family members, people in the society saying, what is she doing? Why is she going from pharmacy into this baby swimming thing? Oh, and now she's changing into this witchy woo-woo stuff, you know? And going into a cult and doing black magic and abandoning her culture and all of this stuff. I had it all. I had to go through all of that. It was uncomfortable. Sometimes it felt isolating. It felt lonely. And I knew it was more important for me to do what was correct for me at this stage in my life. Mm. Some people might listen to that and think, you know what? She was a really good daughter and she really loved her parents. And that's love actually because she cared what people thought about her parents and that's why she stuck at it for so long and she should have then just stuck at it because that's what you do and that's the circle of life and your kids will do that then mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm sure yeah. that there are a lot of people who would say that that if you love your parents that's what you do that's yeah and that's such a twisted concept right such it a is. twisted concept um it's not the child's responsibility to make the parents happy. However, it comes back down to our conditioning. That's the way that we've been brought up. That's what, at least for me and many of my clients, it's been like, what you do is going to dictate whether your parents, your family is happy, whether they can hold their head up high in society or not. It all lies on your shoulders. And so imagine the pressure. Mm, Exactly. And I think I've talked about it on this podcast before, you know, I mentioned it loads of times how my dad tried to push me into accountancy. I thought I wanted to do it, couldn't stand it. So I didn't do it, you know, went into media at the end of the day, which I was probably more suited for in the first place when my parents should have looked at me like, oh, every week she says she's starting a new novel. She's only eight years old and she's trying to write novels at eight years old or, you know, do pretend radio shows like somebody needs to pick up on this. But it was like, no, 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 go into this, go into this, it's going to be good, or you be a doctor or a lawyer, okay? I mean, I'm not, it's not like, it's like, get the violins out for me, because loads of people went through that, and that's just life, right? But we have also talked about on this podcast how, as a parent, you have guardianship of a person, right? And you're blessed to be in that role of a, of a guide. It's a guide, really. And I try to remember mm-hmm. that myself, as a parent of three children, 
be their guide. They're going to be who you're going to be, who they're going to be. You might not even agree with it. You might be like, okay, oh my gosh, why is my kid doing these things? Um, and, and teach them what you can. And then that's it. You're the guide, right? And then they do what mm-hmm. they do. That's right. Um, but this is the thing. That it's such a fine line between guardianship, as you said. I love that word. And then controlling. Mm, yes. And, yes. you know, overriding their free will. Mm-hmm. And the way I see it in terms of parenting is children don't. Uh, they don't pick up on. um what's the word, like your guardianship from what you're saying and what you're do, like what, what you're saying to them or what you're encouraging them to do, it's what you're modeling for them. Mm-hmm. So when you're modeling, for instance, like my, in my family, my, my mom was very accommodating to everyone else's needs. She was very, um, and she still is, like she would over, compromise her own needs just for everyone else she would she would satisfy other people's needs before her own and she still does that now very people pleasing it's okay I'll compromise what I want that type of a thing and that's the even ideal daughter-in-law the... that you're describing by the way the ideal bahu yeah. that's what people say oh yeah I want a, I want a daughter-in-law like this that's it yeah that's exactly it then that was my mom and it was that's what was actually modeled to us and so it wasn't what she was telling us or what she was saying but because that was modeled to us it was like almost energetically imprinted that that's what we had to do and so when I went into all those relationships that's what I was doing I started to compromise myself and I remember um like just silly things I I'm five foot two and a half (laughs) the half counts right um And I would wear these ridiculously high heels, which I hated. I'm not a heels person. I'm a jeans and trainers kind of gal, right? But I would wear these heels and make myself really uncomfortable, give myself achy feet just so that I could accommodate the needs of the taller guys I was dating because they didn't want to date a short girl. Mm -hmm. You know, just silly things like that. The way I dressed Like I said, I'm a jeans and a trainers kind of gal, but I would dress up and make myself uncomfortable because that's what the guys wanted, you know? And it just was so natural for me to do that when I was in a relationship. So when I'm in this relationship, I'm being even less of myself and I'm diluting my own soul's essence and who I truly am just to receive love or just to receive Uh, acceptance from someone and so this pattern it kind of shows up in every area of your life it won't just be in your relationships it will show up in your finances it will show up in your health it will show up in your work your career your relationships with colleagues and everything and so you know people think that it's just one aspect of their life but it actually filters into so many others and um you end up just compromising yourself in so many different ways. And then people wonder why they're not fulfilled. People wonder why, even though they're getting what they want on paper, they may have the house, they may have the cars, they may have the beautiful relationship on paper, but they're not deeply fulfilled and they feel like there's something missing. Right. So for 2022, right, inner peace, right, to get that inner peace, that fulfillment, what should we be doing more of? 
Well, I think, like I said, is cultivating relationship with yourself, starting to become more self-aware, starting to look at um, emotional intelligence is what I call it. So this whole love and light, believe it, be positive and all of that, that's all got a place in, in manifesting and intentionally creating change in your life. However, it's useless if you're not integrating it, if you haven't really embodied it. So, you know, people, I have clients coming to me all the time saying, yeah, but I've done the belief work. I've done the mindset work. I've done the inner healing. I'm doing the self-care. Like I have a bath and I treat myself to all of this. This is going way beyond that. That stuff is so surface level. This is about getting really deep and getting deep means you look at what uncomfortable emotions are coming up for you, um, where those things are stemming from. What are the traumas that are attached to that? And actually honoring your lived experiences, not just spiritually bypassing them because you're trying to vibe high or, you know, you've done the mindset work. So you, you're kind of burying your head in the sand and ignoring that aspect of your life. But you're really um, becoming the version of yourself that has so much love, so much compassion, so much grace for yourself as a human. That's mm -hmm. what I think is going to be the foundation. So this requires emotional intelligence. It requires intuitive intelligence and it requires what I call body intelligence, where you're connecting your intuition with what's going on in your physical body. Like when the trauma response is hit, when your nervous system is triggered, what's going on that's not making you feel safe in the moment because that's going to give you clues on what you need to work on mm -hmm. and what kind of compassion or emotion or um, love that you need to give to yourself and not expecting someone else to do that for you, I think is really, really important. I think what we naturally tend to do is where we have an unfulfilled need, we immediately look outside of ourselves to an outer authority, either our spouse or our children or our parents or someone else who's supposed to do something to make you feel better. And that's cool if you've got that, but if you don't, and you know, people can only do that for you if they've managed to do that for themselves. And how many people have managed to do that for themselves, right? Um, and if you're always relying on someone else, then you're working and operating on their timescale when they give it to you, you've outsourced your power. So how can you reclaim that power, bring it back? So you're doing that for yourself in that way, when other people do it for you, it's just an added bonus, but you don't actually need it anymore because you've learned to cultivate that within yourself. I think that's really, really the foundation of building a healthy and sustainable manifesting practice or you know, just bringing better things and experiences into your life. And when we have done that work, you know, sat with our own emotions, how we feel about things and, and, and learn when we need to give ourselves compassion and stuff, is it then when we should actually do things like, okay, I'm going to do a mood board, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do goals. Like, is it kind of all a combination of those things or are you supposed to work on a certain thing first? Yeah, I think that when you do it that way, and I think um, the standard manifesting practices have got it topsy-turvy where they're asking you to do the visualization, 
and then you do the mindset work and all of that. The way I teach it is like I reverse engineer it. Let's start from within. Let's get your energy congruent to what you're asking for. Then you do the the vision boards and then you do all of that kind of stuff because then your energy is actually aligned and it's much easier for you. And in fact, nine out of 10 times, especially like I've seen this with clients all the time, they don't even need to do the visualization and all of that once they've done this other work because it just, it becomes inevitable. You are literally, you're getting onto your soul's path and you're stepping into your purpose. Every one of us has a purpose. And once I believe that once you're on that path and purpose, all the resources, all your desires, everything that you need to support you on your unique path, it just comes and it comes naturally. I'm not saying that it's easy, mm-hmm. but you can have ease with it. You can have flow with it. It can become more fun, more joy. So you're no longer delaying your joy or your gratification. Like, you know, in this binary reality of I'll be happy when I have this much money in my bank account. I'll be happy when my, I meet my soulmate and marry my soulmate. And then you meet your soulmate and then you have that money in your account and you're still not really happy yeah. within, you know? And so you start chasing your tail, then you change the goalposts, right? Um, so there's something to be said for intentionality and having the vision boards and having the intention and, you know, having that vision and looking at that vision, because that's going to give your conscious mind something to focus on. However, if you are just doing only that, it's not going to be enough to bring that energy into physical manifestation because we're human. Mm-hmm. And and do you think it's the same with like people who are looking to get into relationships to find their soulmate, you know, to find the one? Do you think it's the same? Like do this work on yourself and, and it will come. Because I think because it's, it's something that people talk about in terms of a soulmate as well these days, like oh manifestation, you know, I want this kind of a person, I'm looking for this person. Yeah, a hundred, hundred percent. I I keep saying to like my key phrase with my clients is you can be a hot mess and still manifest. Like people think they have to clean up their energy. They have to be embedded in that belief. They have to have that positive mindset and then they get to manifest a soulmate. What I know is that you can still be a hot mess. You can still be processing and working through your traumas and everything and still manifest. I've had a couple of clients this year, in fact, more than a couple who have manifested their soulmates. And they, each time that I was coaching them, they were like, oh, but I feel really crap because I've got this thing going on. Oh, I'm feeling so sad or I'm feeling so triggered or, you know, my work is in a mess. And how can I possibly manifest a soulmate feeling like this? And when I would coach them to lean into that discomfort, lean into those feelings, they were a little bit apprehensive. They were like, no, but that's not going to help me with manifesting my soulmate. And I was like, just trust the process, do this work. And when they did, while they were going through whatever triggers and dramas and traumas that they were experiencing, they manifested their soulmate. They manifested their dream homes. And they were like, how did I do that? I wasn't vibing high. I wasn't being positive. And I'm like, that's because you don't need to have that reality of first fix yourself up and then you can have that. You can just be a work in progress. This is going to be stuff that is, it's a lifetime commitment. It's not a one and done thing where 
you know, you fix your mindset or you sort out your energy and then that's it. When you manifest your soulmate relationship, you have to maintain that as well. Mm. It's not just about getting the person, right? It's about maintaining that connection, that soulmate connection and having the longevity. It's not just about manifesting 10K a month in your bank account. It's about, can you sustain that? Can you do that every month? This is looking at things long-term and for longevity, not just what I call one hit wonder manifesting where you do it once and then you can't replicate it over and over again. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, Russ. It's been really good talking to you. And there's a such just really good points and really good things to think about for um, 2022. Um, I'm really happy that you joined me today to have this chat. Um, Thank you. It's been really good. And um, if people want to find out a little bit more about you and what you do, where can they? You can either catch me on Instagram uh, at Raspreet underscore Sagu or on my website, divinesacredsoul.com. Cool. So thank you. And thank you everybody for listening. And I hope you are all good. I hope you've taken away a lot from this episode. Please do share this episode, share the love with everybody and get in touch. Um, the best place to get in touch with me is also Instagram at sisterhood of mommy and perfect or at Rena D. Annabelle. Until next week, take care. Bye. <laughs>